and welcome to the Manchester's Red Podcast. My name is Stephen Railston and we're here to dissect the Manchester Derby defeat today. I am joined by my colleagues Tyrone Marshall and Rich Fay. Tyrone, I'll start with you. How are you? Uh, yes, good. Thank you, Stephen. Not particularly looking forward to two weeks of an international break, but aside from that, I'm all right. It's never too fun, the international break, as I believe Rich touched upon last week. And that leads you on to you, Rich. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, yeah, calling the podcast the Manchester's Red Podcast might touch a few nerves today, but uh, <laughs> after that, yeah, it's going to be. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's an interesting place to be at United, and these international breaks feel very long. I mean, heading into the last one, it was a draw of Everton, wasn't it? And it, United was still in a limbo. Now it's a defeat to Man City. It just feels like we've gone around in circles. You do wonder in the last in the gap between the two last international breaks, what has really happened? United are back where they were to begin with. It's quite yeah, interesting. Was... Sorry, sorry, Go I was going to say that after the last international break, we did a podcast. Yeah, it's like you said, United had a bad week, and I seem to remember saying, and a few of us said that it felt like things could escalate pretty quickly. But um, I'm not sure any of us felt it was going to escalate quite this quickly over the last the last three weeks or so. Well, I mean, there was a bit of positivity after the Tottenham win, and then you go into the Atlanta game, and Ronaldo scores that late goal. But you come into this, and there was just that kind of sense of the dreaded expectation. Really, I'm not sure United fans came into this game with high expectations, and. Well, let's just start with that, obviously, dissecting it straight away then, Tyrone. What were your kind of expectations? As I've said, United fans weren't expecting much. But when that goal went in, United conceded early against Liverpool, conceded early against Man City. And what was your reaction to that goal? And did you ever see a way back into, into the game for them after that? No, not really. Not once they'd conceded. And then the pattern of the first half made it pretty obvious what was going to happen, really. Like you say, there was a bit of positivity after the Tottenham game and it did feel like that formation potentially had a future, albeit a limited one. But I think Saturday probably exposed that, that it was as much to do with the poor Tottenham side as it was United. And I mean, the issue with that, that, that setup is based around keeping a clean sheet, really, and, and hoping you can produce something at the other end. And when your clean sheet goes in the first six or seven minutes, then it's an uphill task. And obviously the way they conceded was, was disastrous, really poor on several fronts. And then it's hard to get back in the game. I actually thought... I was surprised he didn't change it before half-time, to be honest. It was noticeable about 15 minutes in that he sent Jaden Sancho, Soscar sent Jaden Sancho out to warm up on his own. There was no City player warming up, no United player warming up. So you could tell from 15, 20 minutes in that he was considering a change. Waited till half-time, at which point the game was gone. They were lucky to only be 2-0 down at half-time. But for De Gea, it could have been 4 or 5. I mean, his save from Jesus was world-class. And, you know, United were just completely outclassed yet again in the first half of a game and I mean I was calling for the 3-5-2 against City but it was obvious it wasn't working at 1-0 down so early on it's obvious it's not going to work that you need to offer more it was too easy for City to play against and to be fair I think City are very good at playing against the back three or a back five Guardiola spoke about it afterwards about the importance of having wide players on the left and right on their natural foot that really stretch the play and you could tell that the fullbacks, Wambasaka especially, didn't know what to do with Phil Foden, didn't know how to stick with Foden, didn't know how to press on Cancelo. And they just caused havoc for United. And it was startlingly obvious during that first half that it wasn't working. And he just left it too late to change. You could tell the last 10 or 15 minutes of the second half that it felt like a matter of time until City did score. And then that second just killed the game. It felt like they just stopped playing in the second half. City, they just declared, basically. And even then, United still could offer absolutely nothing. 
If we look at the goals a bit deeper than Rich, obviously Eric Bailly for the first one, it just had to be him, didn't it? The typical Bailly cycle after that fantastic performance in Italy. And then the second goal, it was just amateur defending, wasn't it, from Shaw and Maguire. And I saw De Gea receive a little bit of criticism, but I felt a bit sorry for him because he's probably expecting Shaw to clear that ball and he should clear that ball. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't think you can be blaming David De Gea. I mean, you always got to try to look for a scapegoat, aren't you, to, to analyse any goal and whatever. But that was, I do think it's kind of freakish in the way it came all the way through, like you said, to Bernardo Silva. Bernardo didn't even know himself that he'd scored the goal. It was like a stunned silence, really, wasn't it? Until everyone realised that actually, that actually went in. De Gea, like Ty said, made a, a big save in the game. And I know Solskjaer, every press conference, every week, he'll say fine margins, etc. Against Liverpool, there was that chance to take the lead early on. United didn't do it. They fell behind minutes later. Maguire had a header from a Luke Shaw free kick in the opening game. I mean, it's against City. And again, if that maybe even on target or something, there's a bit more of a, a belief that United can actually get something from the game. But as Ty said, as soon as that Bayern goal goes in, the sort of calamitous nature of it, it's sort of the masquerade that United could get something from the game was just completely blown away because for, you know, going good to end the game, there's always that false pretense, you know, United can get something because we've seen it before. They, you know, they have to accept that they're not a good enough football team to actually sort of beat one of these other elite teams. They've got to just sort of pick them off, hope that the other team has a bad day and then you just punish them on the counter-attack. That's the only way United can beat these bigger sides and it's only once really. I think that PSG away game, the second time under Solskjaer was the only time they sort of I think, sort of properly beat another elite team. You know, they played them off the park. People say, oh, they beat Tottenham. Tottenham aren't an elite team. You know, they've got elite players. They're not an elite team. We've seen it against City again today. United only ever beat City when City have a bit of an off day and they hit them on the counter-attack and they're blistering. And, you know, it's weird circumstance. And, yeah, it was just, it was so poor. It was just basic errors. And that's what really will alarm the fans. It's the fact that, I know you can say, well, Varane's not playing and he, he is the summer signings had the biggest impact at United and he, he is the one, you know, I know we said on the podcast last week that without Ronaldo, United are still effective because you've got, okay, Cavani wasn't there, but you've got Cavani, you've got Rashford, you've got Marshall, you've got Greenwood, you know, you have got ability up front. Without Varane, the, the drop-off in standards is so, so poor and it was just, it was just calamitous. It was schoolboy defending and it was just an absolute schooling. It was... Man City not even coming out of sort of second gear. They were so comfortable. They hardly broke a sweat. And, you know, it was worse than the 5 0 defeat in a way because there was no effort. There was no spirit. There was just nothing. It was an absolute embarrassment. Ty, you just touched upon it with um, with Juan Basaka and that the hair save from Jesus. It was a fantastic save, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have been needed if Juan Basaka was in the correct position. It was absolutely embarrassing from him to kind of push up the pitch and let Ford come in behind. Um, Wan-Bissaka, Maguire, Shaw, all criminally underperforming this season. How much of the blame goes onto the players? And do you think it's obviously Shaw's score has to take responsibility? Is it a coaching failure? I think the manager has to take a bit of responsibility, definitely. I mean, we did see Shaw is, Shaw is underperforming, not to the extent that Maguire is, but he's clearly improved under Shaw's score. Um, Maguire as well, second half of last season, he was very good. He seems to have a, a chronic hangover from the Euros at the moment. And when he's off form, he does look a little bit catastrophic. But I don't I don't think it'd be a surprise if a new coach came in, a new manager came in and these players improved. They are underperforming, but I think they're being let down by the system and the setup as well, which just isn't working. Complete lack of protection for them. Players are being overexposed. So yes, to a degree, Sarsko is being let down by players who are underperforming. But I think part of that is they are underperforming because of the system. And it's clear that things just aren't working. And Watch them walk off at half time against City and 
they just looked like a broken team. As soon as the half-time whistle went, every head was slumped to the floor. It was just walking solemnly to the dressing room. They just looked completely broken. And it's blindingly obvious something needs to change. And yeah, there are players in that team who are who are really underperforming. Maguire's lucky to still have his place in the team. And if, if Varane was fit, I think there'd be a call to drop him, even though he's the captain. Sure, I think you'd stick with. I don't think he's been as bad. Wambasaka did pretty well, I thought, as a wing back at Tottenham, but he he had a tough game on Saturday, partly because he had Cancelo and Foden to deal with and, and very little support, really. Um, we've all seen that first goal and Fernandez's attempts to, to go with Cancelo. I mean, they're just lazy, basically. That's all it was. It was lazy defending. And he, he you know, so Wambasaka un, understandably had a tough time of it, but I think his signing partly just sums up United as well. I mean, they. They assessed 804 right-backs when they signed Wan-Bissaka and they signed the one that can't attack when they want to be one of the most dominating teams in the Premier League and in Europe. It just doesn't, none of it makes sense. And, you know, he's a work in progress attacking and we're still saying that. And this is his third season at the club. It's just, you know, it, it's not good enough and it's hard to see how he's ever going to be a long-term solution at right-back in a team that wants to win titles. There was a roll of the dice in the second half, Rich, um, after after that poor performance in the first. And Solskjaer sent Donny van der Beek out to warm up on the touchline. <clears throat> pardon me. And that was obviously met by rapturous um, applause from United fans. And it was a bit of a sarcastic chair when Fred went off. And United fans haven't turned on Solskjaer with Solskjaer out chances such at Old Trafford. But do you think that was pretty damning, um, those, those, that support for Donny van der Beek? And it might have said what fans think of his handling of the player. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the caveat is that, you know, Solskjaer didn't exactly want Van der Beek. He wanted his priority signing. You know, he wanted either Grealish or Madison in, in that summer. And, you know, Van der Beek came as a, as a bargain player. But I agree with the fans, you know, you've got to use him when you've got him there. I know you can say he wasn't the player you wanted, but the squad Solskjaer inherited, he maybe didn't want players like Fred. He maybe didn't play, want players like Lindelof, but he still used them because they were there at his disposal. So I think it's foolish, really. And particularly, I think it's interesting, two things there. I mean, Ty spoke about players who are underperforming. The same could be said in Jason Mourinho's last few games, and Solskjaer takes over and suddenly they start playing well again. So I think it is down to the system and to the management to, to a large you know, amount, really. And I know that's not good on modern footballers because it doesn't reflect well on them that they can just turn it on when a new manager comes in. But in terms of Van der Beek, I just do not get it at all because the other thing for Solskjaer as well is at least when you're under the cosh and you've got all this criticism and all this pressure on you, at least try and make the job a bit easier for you. So make these popular decisions. Players who are being called to play, get them on the pitch, give them a chance. They can't do any worse than the ones who are out there in the first place. It's just, it's been really naive from Solskjaer for me. I think that he could give himself so much more, so many more brownie points, really. And I think if he's using his squad properly, then then the argument can be, well, the players are underperforming more. But when the manager is overlooking someone like Van der Beek, who I know we speak about him every week, but his credentials speak for themselves. He's a quality, quality player. He's Champions League quality. You know, he's played in the semi-final. He's pivotal. Probably the best player in the Ajax team, you know. And I know the others like De Ligt and De Jong went and went for bigger fees and they got a bit more sort of marquee signing about them. But Van der Beek has got all the qualities that United need. And the other thing is, if Van der Beek wasn't playing for United, he's the type of player you'd say they need to sign, you know. It just seems like an obvious solution that's being overlooked. And I think, like Ty said as well, United just looked a beat inside. And another thing that I'd be worried about as a United fan is how Ronaldo's been in these two big games. I mean, against Liverpool, he had that petulant kick out at Curtis Jones because he was just frustrated. He had another one where he went in late on De Bruyne and got a yellow. Okay, it wasn't too much of a heated moment or whatever, but he just looks so, so frustrated. And the, the difference this season to the other seasons is 
Ronaldo is a bigger figure than Solskjaer in the dressing room. Like, you know, you can't argue with that. And when Ronaldo's had enough and he looks so frustrated, then I think that really does question the manager's sort of integrity and, and his role going forward because Ronaldo came to United to win the Premier League. And if they qualify for the Champions League, that looks like it could be a good season at the moment. We've had Tottenham, Aston Villa, Newcastle and Norwich part ways with the managers recently, Ty, um, which is quite incredible that Solskjaer's probably outlasted their managers. It's the international break now. It's the last one before the January window. Surely now is the time to get rid of him, if he is to leave. Yeah, I think so. I mean, imagine being told after that 5-0 against Liverpool that three Premier League managers would be sacked and in the next, what, two weeks and none of, none of them would be Solskjaer. It does seem incredible. And, you know, it was no coincidence that Villa and Norwich have both sacked managers before this weekend is even out, because this is the not the last chance, but the obvious chance now to change your manager. You've got two weeks for the next game. It's four months to the next international break. It's pretty much twice a week from now on until certainly January time. So it is the obvious time to make a change, but there's no appetite for it. There's no appetite for change at the moment at United. Their view hasn't changed since after the Liverpool game. They're backing Solskjaer. There's an acceptance he's under pressure, but... He's, he's still the man and it's not like we're, you know, we're not sat here waiting an announcement. United aren't close to to pulling the trigger. Sarsgaard's preparing for Watford and at the moment it would be a surprise if he wasn't in charge in that Watford game. So it is absolutely bizarre because it is blindingly obvious to everyone that change has to come. I mean, they've been embarrassed on the pitch by City and Liverpool, but they've been embarrassed off it as well. When your biggest rivals are singing for your manager and mocking your manager, that should be... Uh, that should be proof that time has come. We are being mocked here by our biggest rivals. They are taking the mickey out of us. And they're just, United are just sitting there, Woodward, the Glazers, just sitting there and accepting it. And I just do not understand why. It, and I think it's, you know, it's worth saying that Soska has done some good work in his three years at the club. He's built a, a fantastic squad. He has improved players. It's, maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but he has made it a more harmonious club. Everyone's, working for the same objectives now. Everyone's Everyone works there, seems happy. It seems a, a much better club than it was in the last days of Mourinho. But all that work is at risk of being undone if they stick with Solskjaer. And I just don't understand it. And I think all that's going to happen is they're going to refuse to sack him now and then have to sack him in December or January when it's going to be even less time to get a replacement in. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be done between a game on a Saturday and a Wednesday, say, and you're going to end up maybe with a, a caretaker in charge for a few games. So it just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I think there's a potential that their hand is going to be forced here. We've always, we've seen the previous sackings that they act when they think the Champions League football is, is in danger. And it's obvious, I mean, the title's gone this year, hasn't it? Let's let's face facts. But top four should still be doable. But it's, of the top six clubs now, it's probably United who are the ones without a long-term manager. Arteta's come good at Arsenal. Tottenham have appointed Conte. And you'd say City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham have all got a manager who they'll have next season, maybe even the season after that. United haven't. They're the odd ones out. And things could you know, things could spiral very quickly in terms of that top four, the way they're playing. So I don't understand why they're acting, why they're not acting now. And I know there'll be people pointing out that there's not an obvious replacement. Maybe that's true, but there's got to there be There doesn't need like to be, there. There does a tie. No, that is like it's it's such a bad argument. That thing. Yeah. You, you say that someone else has got to come in. I mean, there wasn't an obvious replacement for Mourinho, but you had to no. get rid of him because the the club was so disjointed. And 
yeah, you've just got to you just got to get rid of Solskjaer to to a point. Like Ty said, he's he's been a success. He came in to do that initial job. He probably should never have got the job on a permanent basis anyway. He's restored what it means to be United. All those buzzwords, the United DNA, the philosophy, you know, the youth side of things. There is a cohesion. There's that real sort of there is a style between you know all the age groups now, and there is that clear pathway from from the academy to the first team. He has put smiles back on faces like he was meant to, but. That you know, you can do that job and be a success, but it doesn't mean that you are the person taken to the next level. You know, he's done his job as a stepping stone. And I think again, I know it's a cliche, or whatever, but it's similar to what Frank Lampard did at Chelsea. He put those foundations in place for Tuchel to then take them to the next stage. And I think that's what where United are at now. And they're so naive if they think that Solskjaer, after all this time, still has more to give because they're going around in circles and it's the same story every week. And Fans must be getting tired of it. I, I know that it is tedious. And from the club's point of view, they'll point at the table and say, well, we're only five points off Liverpool. And this is a Liverpool team who are being revered, talked as title challenges once again. But they've got an identity. They, you know, When they play well, they play unbelievably well. They, they destroy teams. United just don't do that. And yeah, United seem to have come as far as they can under Solskjaer. And I... Uh, yeah, you understand to a degree why the why the club would say that they don't want to make a change until they've got someone lined up, but it's then hypocrisy because it was those circumstances that gave Solskjaer the job in the first place. Yeah, I, was I think. Um, go on. So I was going to say that the interesting thing with Lampard there as well is that you know he probably things at Chelsea probably weren't as bad as they are now under Solskjaer, but they sacked him because yeah. Tuchel was available. United have had that opportunity with Pochettino. They've had that opportunity with Conte. They've not done it, and now they're in a situation where where no one's available. And I think what they'll probably be hoping for now is that Solskjaer, it doesn't get the bleeding doesn't get too bad under Solskjaer, and at some point Pochettino's on the market this year. I think that's probably United's ideal circumstances, but that's that's hoping for for two things of which there's no guarantee of either, really. I was texting Richard the weekend and he, he made the joke that we could see Michael Carrick come in on the interim basis. But <laughs> God, they're that incompetent. They'd probably give him the job permanently, wouldn't they? Um, Ty's just kind of touched upon it. He thinks it's beyond um, the title now, Rich. Nine points off Chelsea who sit at the top of the table. It's such a talented squad. Um, if they do make a change and do get the right man in, is it can they close that gap? Could they actually win the Premier League title or is it just too far gone? I think the title is gone because this year... They're not relying on one team to fail. They're relying on three. You know, you've got you've got to have implosions at City, Chelsea, and Liverpool. Really, I think uh, an average City or Liverpool can still win the league now against an, an excellent United because they've got that authority. They've got you know, the points tally lead as well. And you know, there's got to be opportunity. The season is is not over. United can still win a trophy. You know, ironically, it's probably easier for them to win the Champions League because of the the sort of the manner that the tournament is. You know, it's the cup games and over two legs. You know, you only really have to perform really well over one leg and, and shut them out over another, which of course isn't isn't a guarantee. But under a new manager, it, it could be. And again, we'll bring Chelsea into the argument, won't we? Last season, they won the Champions League under Tuchel because you know they were they still had a team that was suited to that, but the Premier League they weren't. And now we've seen how far they've come already under him. Now they are ready for a, a title challenge, but. I think the real worry is United are just wasting their best chance for so long to win the league right now because heading into the summer, when they had only signed Sancho, Solskjaer, you know, he, he was asked this in mid, I think mid-August, whatever. It was before Varane and Ronaldo arrived and he said that, you know, we can win the win the league then. That was only with Sancho who, who had arrived. And he said it would take, you know, full commitment from the players. It would take them all working in the right direction. But then when you add Varane and you add Ronaldo, they are both serial winners. They both came to United to win the Premier League. Second place isn't good enough for players like that. You know, the standards have slipped at United, but the standards of the players they've they've signed haven't slipped. They are a different calibre to the rest who 
who accept mediocrity as, as success, really. And, you know, FA Cup and top four, that's not good enough. We saw Van Hal sapping that as won the FA Cup and Solskjaer, even if he was to win that this season, that is not success. So for me, the title is, I agree, tied just out of reach at this moment. But like you said, they've got everything in place you could ever want to win the league title. They've got the squad. You know, they, they have got the squad. I know that we'll say they need a new midfielder, particularly after the weekend, showing a new midfielder is needed at some point, maybe another right back as well to offer something different to Wan-Bissaka. But that's, being, that's looking for a perfect squad, I think. United still have a very, very good squad. And with another manager, you could, you could envisage an immediate uplift in results and you could see them papering over those cracks because they'll be coached better and maybe their style of play will help overlook those issues. At the moment, United sort of play into the hands of the opposition because the midfield's there for the taking. They need to find a way to sort of overlook that and find a better balance. And I think if a new manager came in with, with different coaching methods and a different approach that we could still see United involved in, in in a loose sort of title challenge. I think they could definitely keep their hopes up a, a lot longer than they are at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think the title the title has gone and we're only just entered November, which is just absolutely ludicrous to say. doesn't get more depressing than that, does it? really doesn't. <laughs> never, never cheer you on this podcast. Um, Ty, um, I wrote a piece yesterday talking about the Glazers and that they'll probably only pull the trigger on Solskjaer when Champions League is in doubt. I saw something on social media today that fans might be mobilising and creating a protest. Do you think we could see more of that unrest in scenes similar as that we saw in May coming forward? Um, maybe, I guess, maybe. But the issues, you know, the issues the fans have with the Glazers, I think, are about more than, than Solskjaer and arguably the protest should have continued at the start of, of this season. I mean, to protest now is to protest that they're not sacking the manager, basically, in which case it's it's a protest against Ollie, which fans have, have tried to avoid. Like we said, the Van der Beek chanting at the weekend was kind of a subtle way of, of turning against Solskjaer without not actually turning against them. But it'd be no surprise if there were protests and there's obvious issues there. And, you know, you look at it, if Solskjaer was sacked, I mean, who's making the decision to bring him in? Woodward, he's going soon. Richard Arnold is going to replace him. He, you know, he's got no experience of running a football club and being involved in football decisions. John Mert is the football director. He's very competent, seems well-liked, but he's a very, you know, he's a low-key figure. He's not... And you can be a low-key figure and be successful in that job, as Michael Edwards has proven at Liverpool. You know, if he walked into a room, I don't think any of us would even recognise who he is. But that was, you know, that that's worked with a big name manager and a manager who is the personality of that club. United haven't got that. And is John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher equipped to appoint a new manager? Arguably not. So there is, you know, it still feels like there, there needs to be more football know-how on that board and more sort of football guidance. And I think that'd be concerning if a manager does go. And I think part of the issue is Woodward really and, and the fact he is going and He's, There's also the fine. fact, Ty, isn't it, that he's lingered around. There's not been that sort of clean cut. Like, if he's going to yeah. go, he should, he should have gone. It's the fact that he's still in the background. I think it's, it's just really muddied. I mean, even from our point of view, it's difficult to know who's doing what really behind the scenes. And I mm. think there just needs to be that like, clear hierarchy, doesn't there, which you do have at other clubs. Like you said, I think maybe one imposing figure at the top would certainly help that. But like you said, who's appointing the new manager if there, if there is going to be that decision made? And Yeah. It, yeah, it's just... I mean, there's no point Woodward doing it if he's going. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to... I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be Joel Glazer who has the final say on Solskjaer, but the recommendation is probably going to come from Woodward. And I don't see Woodward having the appetite to sack him when he's staked so much on him. I mean, his time in charge 
as executive vice chairman has been pretty woeful anyway. If his final act is to sack the manager that he invested so much faith in over three years, then it's not a great way to go. So I think we're, we're almost at a bit of a stalemate at the moment. Back on the football pitch then, Rich, um, towards the end of the podcast. Um, that nice little pun there, rhymed. Um, obviously, Solskjaer talked about going into the Watford game, maybe perhaps switching back to a more attacking formation. Perhaps we could see the 4-2-3-1 again. Do you think that's necessary coming in the next few weeks after the international break? Absolutely, yeah. I think United will, I mean, if he's still in charge, I mean, regardless who's in charge, let's put that out there. They need to make a statement and particularly against that Watford team who, you know, they were quite spirited against Arsenal. I watched that game on Super Super Sunday and uh, yeah, they, they were decent. They held on quite well, but they were there for the taking. Defensively, they still look a bit a bit stretched and, you know, that United should be able to, I mean, it's United. Put that team on paper that United have. We shouldn't be making any sort of ifs or buts, really. United should be able to to win three or four nil, and it was last time what we were doing the Premier League. They were, you know, I know United did lose. I think at Vicarage Road, didn't they? But I think the home game they certainly, uh, they certainly had an easier, easier outing against them. And those sort of games, United need to be able to just put to bed and to to win clinically. And I think that United should switch to the four three three. Um, it's again another chance for them to to rip apart that McFred axis in midfield because there's absolutely no need for both of them to be playing against. Watford, maybe it's a game where someone like Matic can come in, so you can have two more sort of attacking players in, in the midfield. Van der Beek, you know, he's made an impact at least in, in the games he's come on with, and particularly against Atalanta, he was he was very impressive considering he only had about five minutes on the pitch, and you know he had that run for the goal. He also had his own effort as well. So if Van der Beek's not going to be playing against Watford, then when is he when is he ever going to play for United again? Like start a game genuinely, he he needs to be involved in that one. And up front is a difficult one. I mean. The, man, the way that Solskjaer juggles these players who are ill or whatever is 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 really, really odd. Uh, it's hard to even say who should be in that front three because you just don't know who's going to be fully fit and you just don't know who Solskjaer's going to actually back. But I think United do just need to go sort of gung-ho in that game. And Solskjaer is now at the point where I think he has nothing more to lose, really, that I don't see why he would play it safe and just try to get a result. I think that, you know, being United manager is about the success, but you've got to do it in a certain way. There, there are certain clubs in world football, aren't there, where it's not just winning, it's winning in style and in a certain way. And the fact that United have had to desert that that sort of free-flowing attacking play in recent years just highlights another issue. And like Ty said, the issues at United won't just be solved if there's a manager's change. They, they are far, far deeper rooted than that. But against Watford... That these are the games which United used to win in the tunnel. You know, it used to be that cliche where they're just lining up and the Watford players will be dreading stood next to Sancho, Pogba, Fernandez, Ronaldo. I'm guessing Pogba's still suspended for that game anyway, so he won't be there. But yeah, United just need to need to embrace what they've got and to actually try and beat a team playing their own way rather than picking them off on the break or whatever. They just need to impose themselves. And if Solskjaer really is going to have backing and if he is really to to win the crowd back over a bit, that they need to just be winning those games 4-5-0 because that's what City and Liverpool do. So, Ty, it is the international break, our favourite time of year. Um, England are probably going to be playing some minnows. I'm not exactly sure who they are because I'm not sure I could care. However, is it an opportunity, um, last question, for some of United's players across the international break to recapture a bit of confidence and to regain a bit of form? Uh, maybe, I guess. Maybe. I didn't really work in the last international break. Um I guess no. <laughs> maybe um, Van der Beek is the interesting one. Obviously, he's not in the Holland squad again. Um, things are looking pretty desperate for him on that front, considering the World Cup starts in about a year's time. But it's a chance to spend two weeks working at Carrington and 
I mean, I think it'd be ironic if he started against Watford. It'd be the first time he started a meaningful Premier League game in a year, basically, since early December last year. And he'd be starting purely because the fans sang his name on, on Saturday. I mean, he, he played five minutes of football before Saturday and he came on. So I threw him on purely because the fans were singing his name. So if he started, I think there would be a degree of irony. But I think we're far from alone to be completely perplexed as to why he's not been given more of a chance. So I guess that's a possibility for someone who's who's staying at Carrington. But beyond that, I'm not sure it's going to make too much difference. I'm sure they'll come back and might enjoy this time away with their countries. And then 10 minutes into the Watford game, we'll probably wish they could be back with their countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that would be the answer. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, absolute pleasure as usual, guys. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, I think it was a pleasure. I'm not sure if this is a home with agree, but yeah, thank you. It's always, always nice to be on. And thanks for your time, Ty. Cheers. Thanks, Stephen. And to the listeners, thanks again. Take care.